Welcome to episode 10 of the 37 Years Podcast. We've made it to 10 episodes, Matt. Mike Dubin here. Matt Dubin here. How's it going, Matt? How do you think, how do you feel about making it to 10 episodes? Big milestone. Thanks for everybody who's been on the ride with us. But wow, 10 is 10 is a lot. Yeah. So we have a we have had we've enjoyed all of these conversations. And now we have baseball. So let's start with baseball. We have Mets baseball in Florida which is probably the least exciting place to open up. But Steve Cohn went to the game. Steve Cohn sat with the fans. Um, and, and I think that in and of itself was uh, a great milestone for the first game. He was, he was very uh, vocal there, and it was excellent to see. But So the Mets played two games versus the Marlins this weekend, and it was sort of a tale of two kinds of Mets games that I think we're going to see a lot of this year. The first one was the formula, what I call the winning formula. And it was Scherzer grinding it out. It was the bullpen coming through as they needed to in the committee of the bullpen and timely hitting from Nimmo and Marte. So let's talk about the first game, what you saw, Matt, and and what we, you know, what I think is a good formula for winning for the Mets. Yeah, the the first game was was quite impressive. They had it all on the TVs at work. Everybody was watching baseball. It was kind of one of those days that's a national holiday for opening baseball. Day. So opening day, baseball fans everywhere. It was it was a very classic Mets win for this team that I've seen the last couple of years. Like you were saying, the pitching fortified. The, the hitting was solid and the right guys came through at the right time. And you can't really complain about a win like that. I think it was 5-3, right? Yeah, it was 5-3. It was 3-3 three, three in the seventh. And, and Scherzer had grinded it out. And then some timely hitting from Nimmo, Marte, and a few others. So Yeah, so good win. Not much to complain about in the first game. Yeah, and we saw you know what the new bullpen's going to look like with the idea of Drew Smith, Brooks Raley, David Robertson. The committee came through. And even, even my friends who aren't Mets fans who saw the Diaz injury, they were kind of skeptical of what the Mets bullpen would look like. But after the first game, they're like, hey, this could be this could be a solid team this year. So Yeah, so so we looked, we saw a sort of a winning formula. Buck pulled all the right hit all the right buttons, and we saw the Mets win the first game. Now, game two was the complete opposite. It was sort of what we would call the losing formula. Not much hitting. Um, you know, Lizardo on Miami's good, but not that good. Peterson pitched okay, but the fact that we were seeing Peterson in game two, and I know that they were staggering Verlander, and we'll talk about the injury in a second. We were going to see Peterson either way in game two because they wanted Verlander to start the home opener. He did all right. I mean, it was a, it was a low, it was a game they should have won. He only let up, I think, one run and run came in later, but it's, it's kind of strange. So I went to a bunch of games two years ago, and this, that game felt very reminiscent of yes. that, where the Mets, it was a lot of 2-1, 1-0, kind of like these grind-out wins or losses. And I think it just felt very flat to me yesterday. Yeah, it felt like there was a lack of sort of oomph in the hitting. And, you know, as we look at the second game and we look at the concerns we might have about the Mets, so there's the Verlander injury, first of all. Now, what it looks like is that that's not going to be a long-term injury. He was throwing on the side. It's probably like a miss a few starts kind of thing. He's probably back in late April, if I had a guess. So that was a, you know, that was a, what I would call a, a scare. It came out of nowhere on opening day. So that's certainly something we got to be concerned with the injuries. The pitching, I think this this kind of begs the question of, for the Mets, they really they really can't have the mindset that the pitching is going to save them. They need 
They need That's the hitting right. of last year. They need the aggressiveness. They need the tenacity. They can't have this like oh, we have great pitching and it's that's all we need because they're going to get stuck in games like yesterday. Yeah, and, and I guess the other thing, that's right, and I guess the other thing that I'm concerned about is the lineup pop. Like the lack of what they didn't, you know, we were all sitting there at the trade deadline last year. Should they get J.D. Martinez? Should they get another big bat? They got Vogel back and Ruff. Ruff they cut finally in spring training. Vogelback has been solid, if not spectacular, you know, in the offseason, they went after Correa. That would have provided another bat, but it seems now you can see the games where they're not getting the timely hitting, that the lineup lacks a little oomph. They have guys who can get on base, and they have guys who can who can hit for contact really well. But my, like, like you said, Dad, my concern is, do they have enough power hitters to really get them through? Right. They, they really didn't add anything. And I think the other thing that we thought was a possible sort of solution to that was some of the rookies like like Beatty, Vientos, and Alvarez, and they're all starting the year in the minors. And the only real addition is Tommy Pham, who is like an okay sort of fantasy baseball player, but not, you know, that power bat that they really so, need. So Buck really has, has to make the decision, and the organization, and Epler in general, has to make the decision. If you're at a point where you're kind of in these pitching duels every game, you're going to have to bring some guys up, trade for some guys. Like, I mean, it's it's going to hit a point where if you don't have the production of last year, you know, McNeil with his great average or Pete hitting the way he does, yeah. you're going to need to kind of pull from other sources to make up for the lost production. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I, and I also think, you know, now we have a starting rotation of, you know, no more DeGrom, Verlander's out, it's Scherzer. McGill and Peterson and then Carrasco and Senga. And Senga's, you know, a wild card. We hope he does great. You know, he's a new guy. We were supposed to have Verlander and Quintana. I think we'll have Verlander fairly soon. So I think that will uh, that will help. But the, the hitting is either going to be what they did in game one or it's what they did in game two. So, you know, and, and I think the first line of defense will be – um, the guys from the minors. And I think they'll, you know, but you may see those guys sooner rather than later. I don't know where Escobar is going to be this year. Are we going to see the Escobar we saw in September? Or are we going to see the Escobar who for most of last season floundered around? The catchers, you know, are not going to hit that much. And like Fam and Marcana, I like Marcana, you know, and Fam is pretty good, but I don't know if we're going to get enough production from them. And the DH spot is also like Vogelback and, you know, they're going to mix and match guys. So, so my question for you, Dad, is if all, all things stay standard, like I know injuries can happen, but I'll right. say all things stay standard, which minor leaguer do you see coming up first? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Beatty will probably come up first. I think that he – because I get the sense that Escobar can sort of turn into a utility guy – I think if he gets off to a hot start, we may see him before the end of April. I think Alvarez, they're going to wait a little bit to see what, you know, he does. But once again, if he gets hot with the bat, he could be a right-handed DH and not even have to worry about catcher and then be like a third catcher. And I, the thing with Vientos I don't really understand is they, they don't seem to like him for whatever reason. Even though he had a pretty good spring... Some I don't see where he exactly fits unless it's like a righty DH type thing. That's that's my thought too. And for me, I think uh, to answer my own question, I think Alvarez can really come in and add immediate value. I really like Brett Beatty too, but I think Alvarez, if you're thinking about the pop in the lineup and getting more power hitting, 
he's a guy who... Well, he could be a righty DH. Yeah, because... And also, right now, and if you even flex him over to catcher, it's like the catching position they don't really get a lot of bat production from. Yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see which one of the minor leaguers... Yeah, and maybe maybe they bring him two or three of them all at once, because I think you're going to hit into a spot that they're going to... Need the extra pop. I just, I like you said, and, and you're so right, Matt. I don't want to see Met hitting lineups of two years ago, where it just sort of all falls flat. Well, it's it's it goes back to the question. It's like that the pitching's not as I don't know if the pitching's as good, which is something that we'll have. We're to gonna be have to foreseen. see with Verlander. Yeah, with Verlander, the injuries. We don't know if it's as good. And if you're in this scenario where it's like. You're just relying on the pitching. That's a formula for winning 70-something yeah. games. And I guess the thing that scares me the most about Verlander's injury is if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers and he gets injured. What oh. happens there? That that was sort of what I was thinking about. Now, that that's a discussion for a separate day, but you know we're not going to want to have Zach Wilson as the backup. But that's yeah, a discussion that's... for a separate day. But I think the thing with Verlander... It looked, when I watched the game yesterday, he was warming up before. This doesn't look like a long injury. It was very odd how it happened, like, right before opening day. They just announced it on the game. So we have two Met games in the books. One great, one not so great. By next week, we should have more of a sample size to be able to talk about the Mets. But, you know, I think there are some concerns, but we're just going to have to wait and see. The one other baseball thing... I think the debut of the pitch clock has been very, very positive. Other than a few little things here and there, all of the games have been like two hours, 30 minutes, you know. Yeah, the speed of the game has been, even my friends watching, I know friends in Cincinnati, Cleveland, some of these other, Seattle, the games have gone very quick, which they're, I, I think true baseball fans, it's like, oh, I want to, you know, sit there for five hours and right, watch right. a game, but it's like, I, I think for the everyday fan and bringing new fans to the game, the pitch clock will be vital. Even when I bring friends and colleagues to the game, I think it's like people who aren't as familiar with it, it will make it more enticing. Yes. So we, we're thumbs up on the pitch clock, and we'll next week we'll have a bigger sample size on the Mets. So the other team that's been playing and been playing very well and a little bit surprisingly well has been the Knicks. And the Knicks – other than the Randall injury, had quite a week. They won the game against Miami uh, in the middle of the week, and it beat Houston earlier in the week. But last night in Cleveland, I mean, that was some game to, you know, against the team they're probably going to be playing in the playoffs. Matt, I know you watched the whole game. What were your thoughts on last night's game? So there was multiple components to that game I really enjoyed seeing with the Randallless Knicks, the first of which was the passing, which I think was a very underrated aspect. Hartenstein was throwing those top-of-the-key passes to Toppin. Manuel quickly was throwing some great entry passes. Brunson was passing the ball great. It was a very complimentary game for a lot of guys, and even throwing those to Mitch Robinson. And Soder going off Mitch Robinson, the offensive rebounding is unbelievable. The guy grabs everything over what is a pretty premier back or front court with Evan, Evan Mobley fortifying it. It's, Although Jared Allen didn't play. Jared Allen didn't play, but we didn't have Randall and right, right. So right. it's you know I think I think Randall's more valuable than Allen. But in the in the grand scheme of things, Mitchell Robinson dominated the game. And then the final, the cherry on top of everything was Jalen Brunson was getting whatever he wanted. He was getting his. He was distributing. He was scoring. He scored forty eight points on like thirty shots or something like that. His free throw shooting wasn't as great, but like. He scored 48 points, and the Knicks won the game by a lot. So 
overall, I think just like wrapping up my little spiel here, the Knicks showed a lot of grit and toughness in an environment that's going to be coming up soon when they probably play them in the playoffs. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, a few thoughts on what you said. Um, let's start with the center play. I thought both Hartenstein and Robinson played great in different ways. And I think with Robinson, my issue, and much less this year than in other years, is you never know what you're going to get. He's either great or he's terrible and, you know, fouls right away. Last night he was great. And Hartenstein, rather than when the Knicks last year had, you know, um, Todd Gibson and all those other guys, it was like a big drop-off when they would come in and whatever. Hartenstein plays like a completely different game, but it's equally as effective. And I think one of the, the questions that Tibbs has is who plays at the end of the game? Because, you know, depending on what's going on in the game, now last night they had a pretty good margin and they won and it was nice, but they both can add something. And I think it's just going to be a game by game. And I think that's been yeah. great. Now, Brunson... To me, last night was like other level. It was just unbelievable. So he, you know, I was listening to some things this morning and, and reading some stuff. He is the probably best point guard since Clyde the next yeah. time. Now, people were like, oh, Doc Rivers, Derek Harper. I can tell you, <laughs> they were fine players. They were sort of not even, the Knicks weren't even their best teams. Derek Harper would play best on Dallas. Doc Rivers... Didn't even play that long on the Knicks. He was good. He played on Milwaukee and some other teams. But I'd have to agree with that. I mean, Brunson was just that. Now, there's another level of this where he may be the best New York free agent signing that of any New York team. And, you know, and, and the ones that come to mind are Curtis Martin on the Jets yeah, was good. That was a great sign. You know, going back to like Reggie Jackson and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, he's definitely better than Jason Bay. Yeah. And uh, was, a lot uh, of Mets uh, Mets free agents. But he is, he has lived up to um, his billing and more. And I'll tell you, there's a show on MSG this week where they had him and his father eating dinner with Mike Breen. It was on after one of the games. And I'm sure on MSG they rerun it all week. But something worth seeing. Rick um, Brunson. Rick Brunson. And it was a really sort of touching, nice thing. But what's great is by winning these games against Miami and Cleveland, they're virtually a lock for the fifth seed. Now, and, and, and will virtually almost, unless, you know, and I, I don't know if everyone saw this, but earlier in the week, Cleveland was catching up to Philadelphia. Now, I think... Losing last night in Philadelphia, I think, one that's not going to happen. So that should be the 4-5. Here's the big question, Matt. There's been a lot of people out there today saying the Knicks are better without Randall. I don't agree with that. Now, and, and once again, that might have been last year. And, you know, they see the game last night and they get a little deceived and think that. What, what's your thoughts on that one? There, that's that's misplaced statement. Um, I also want to point – well, I'm going to point out one thing with Brunson too. Some of the graphics – they showed Stefan Marbury with the, yeah, yeah, and, I, I and I love Stefan Marbury, but like to put him, you can't really make the comparison anymore. It's Brunson's world. We're all living in it. But Randall gives the Knicks that down low scoring presence that they need. He's shown his three point shot is effective. If they had Jared Allen, they would have dominated the interior. I mean, that's just like the way yeah. things are in the NBA. And the Knicks need Julius Randall. Yeah, this definitely. isn't like the Knicks won that game. Like great. Brunson's awesome. But like, they need Julius Randle to win in the playoffs. You're not going to go in the playoffs and win a series without Julius Randle. No, and he's been their Iron Man this year. And, and I mean, in a weird kind of way, we don't know the extent of the injury. Doesn't sound that serious. 
Sounds like also they might be trying to give him a little time off before the playoffs. Because that's a big concern in the NBA. Yeah, Thibs definitely plays guys more, we both know, more than most. Yeah. And I honestly think it's a precautionary thing. I don't think this is some serious injury. But Randall gives them that spacing. He posts up. He scores. And him and Brunson play really well together. So the guys who say that they're better off without Randall just aren't watching any of these games. Because it's, you know, Randall helps the machine go. Yeah, so we're going to keep an eye on that. There's another week, maybe five or six games in the regular season. I think the other thing is by avoiding the play-in, they're going to get a few extra days before they play the playoffs, which is great. So that's going to be interesting. And it's interesting also, just looking at the standings, the Nets are hanging in. The Nets are solid, man. I mean, the Knicks trounced them in that one game that we saw together, but... The Nets have a like a weird collection of guys that kind of work together well. I've always been a Mikhail Bridges believer. Uh, Cam Johnson's a good player. I mean, the Nets have a solid solid group, but the Knicks are more of the real team. I think the Knicks have a better collection of guys. So it'll it'll. I hope the Knicks can make a run. And it'll yeah, be it'll be so. I mean, if you could beat Cleveland in the first round, you're probably playing Milwaukee. And that would just be such a great let me, series. Let me tell you something about the NBA in 2023. This isn't the NBA where LeBron's sitting there in the second round right. or Jordan's sitting there. You can win You can win series and people won't bat an eye. Like there's – the competitive parity has been at an all-time like best. I think this is one of the most kind of comparable leagues in, in recent I time. I agree. Speaking of competitive parity while we're on the news, the NCAAs, um, we're in a Final Four with uh, – Two teams from Florida and some other teams, San Diego State and um, who am I missing, Matt? Uh, San Diego and State. And UConn. UConn. UConn, the locals. Yeah, so the resident college basketball expert here. Very weird Final Four, but it's going to be entertaining. If you've ever visited your grandparents yeah. in uh, South Florida and Boca, Boca, yes, FAU is where the Whole Foods is and um, University of Miami, the U. Really good team. UConn stores Connecticut. And then um, San Diego State, the Aztecs, making it to the Final Four. Not with Steve Fisher, though, with right. another coach. Right. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting. So who do you give us a pick? Because we're, we're filming oh. this at 2 o'clock on Saturday uh, before the uh, Final Four games. Oh, this is tough. I got to pick the Aztecs to come out of the SDSU. San Diego State. One of my friends, uh, a couple of my friends, they're actually from there. Or they went to school there. Got to pick the Aztecs. And then... It was at Miami and or, or yeah, it's Miami, UConn, Miami, UConn, uh, Miami. I honestly think Miami's really good. Yeah, and I love Nigel Pack and, and who to win I, it all. Who do you like? If in that matchup, Miami wins it all. Which okay, is Jim Laranega. Yeah, that would be a good story. That'd be a I good mean, story. Yeah, I'm not going to pick. I haven't been following it as closely, but it's interesting to have the Hurley dynasty from Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, in there now, the women's. I you know we're not going to pick the women's, but that uh, Caitlin Clark from Iowa is something. She's like Pete Maravich. I was watching at a sports bar, watching them play, and it's like unbelievable. Like she is otherworldly. Yeah. So we got we got your picks for the NCAA's. We have the Mets to keep an eye on, the Knicks to keep an eye on, and we're we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to have our jet segment. And what we're going to do is in a pretty cool, we're going to use this app and we're going to do an AI mock draft to see who we pick as the Jets pick at 13 based on what the computer has picked for the first 12. Ooh, that'll be fun. So, yes. So, we'll go through that and we'll just give a little Jets update and we'll be right back. We are back. So, now we are 
are entering our Jets segment of the program. We don't have any further updates on Aaron Rodgers. We're still in a holding pattern. It seems like they're getting a little closer, mm-hmm. but we don't know. And I have a feeling like I, Matt and I have talked about this. It's just going to happen one day. Like we're just going to be – I think it's going to happen before the draft. But, yep. um, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So we're going to assume at this point – for the draft purposes, that the Jets still have their 13th and then 42nd and 43rd pick. And what we're going to do in this segment is actually use the mock draft simulator from Pro Football Focus. We're going to do this live and go pick by pick for the first 12 picks in the draft. Um, And then when we get to the Jets pick, we're going to actually pick that pick for them. And this is a very cool thing at pff.com. If you want to take a look at this, and they let the, you use this for free, and then I think you pay if you want some enhanced features. So what we're going to do is we're going to start the draft, and the other thing we're going to look at is we're going to see at when we get to the 13th pick what trades are available because they see what teams want to trade, and maybe we'll trade out of that. So we're starting the draft right now, and we'll go pick by pick with Carolina on the clock. And the first pick from Carolina is Bryce Young. Matt, what do we think of that? Not a surprise there. I think Bryce, I think Stroud in like real life is more the preference for Carolina, but I think Bryce Young, people have said, is the most talented player in the draft. His height is a concern, but they, Carolina needs a complete retool after their QB exodus and situation. So Bryce Young is a good guy to build around, and I think overall a very good pick. And I think it's a possible first pick. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. We, We know Stroud from Ohio State. We're both Buckeyes fans. Um, but but Bryce Young has won the Heisman, you know, very viable potential pick at number one. So now on the clock at number two of the Texans, we assume this will be C.J. Stroud, but let's see. You never know. And the Texans pick is Will Levis. Ooh. Yeah. So I've been hearing... Will Levis, yeah. Okay, I'm just pausing. Go ahead. So... It's this has been something that's come out like in the last couple of days, but people are very interested in Will Levis's upside and tools. He's like 6'3, 225. He runs very he's a runner. He's wasn't the greatest quarterback in Kentucky, like I've said before in other episodes, but he has a lot of these tools to be a very good quarterback with the right training. Cannon for an arm. Cannon as they for an say. arm. Tra- with the right training and upskilling and kind of know-how. Maybe I don't know, he's not gonna sit, but behind Davis Mills, but who knows? Um, So we'll see. I mean, that's not a terrible pick. No. I mean, I think, once again, this is like the quarterbacks are like, what's your preference? They're different types of quarterbacks. So when we just ran the program here, at the third pick, they have the Cardinals picking Jalen Carter, which Jalen Carter's had some legal off-the-field issues, but before that was between him and Will Anderson as the two top defensive players. I think Anderson has a higher upside, but I think Carter might be a little bit of a safer pick. A team like the Cardinals just needs talent injection. They've kind of had a rough whatever with their coach, with Cliff Kingsbury and some of the things that have transpired there. He'll play probably new coach, yeah. new coach three technique, five tech, five tech, and the defensive tackle. Uh, and defensive tackles are good to build around. You've seen the Jets with Quinn and Williams. Yeah. always good to get a, a nice centerpiece on the D-line. Yeah, and I think if his legal issues are cleared up, he's clearly the choice there with Will Anderson for the Cardinals, assuming they stay in that spot, which for this purpose we are. So for pick four, the simulator says Anthony Richardson. So still no C.J. Stroud, but you know the Colts need a quarterback. 
Anthony Richardson is a viable choice there, you know, as a project. Yeah, once again, like, Levis wasn't great at UF, but is a very athletic... I mean, his combine testing numbers were Richardson off the chart. Richardson at UF, yeah. And Anthony Richardson at UF. His combine testing numbers were off the charts. He had, like, the best, like, broad jump or something, like, best, like, you know, um, vertical leap. Like, yeah. he's, his athletic testing... And he's a good quarterback. I've seen him play, but... He needs a little seasoning. He needs a little time to figure things out. And maybe getting a veteran for them could be a good thing for mentorship. Well, I think they have they got Gardner Minshew. Yeah, they got Gardner Minshew. So that's so. good. So I think they'll probably start with Gardner Minshew because it was the Eagles coach. So yeah. they knew Gardner Minshew. Interesting so, there for the Colts. Yeah, so we'll see. That's an interesting thing. So the next – we're, we're going to put this back on in a second. The next pick is Seattle, which they got from Denver, then the Lions, then the Raiders. So we think in these three, one of them should be C.J. Stroud. But let's see what the computer says. So they say for Seattle, let's just let these three go. Okay, so this is interesting. So now we have the next three picks – Quentin Johnson from TCU for yeah, Seattle. Yeah, so he was he was a great 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 wide receiver for TCU this year. Um, I don't know if he's the best receiver in the draft, and I might be a little biased, but I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, even though he didn't play, was is better I agree. than Quentin Johnson. I agree. Oh, um, but you know, the Seahawks could have I felt like could have done more with this pick, even though they did, actually didn't use this pick. Uh, so not well, what, and I also think the Seahawks like ha- signed Geno Smith. Geno Smith could have been a nice guy to let C.J. Stroud sit on the bench for for a year or two. I also think the offensive line could have benefited. I think they could have taken one of the tackles or centers or someone at five. I don't know if wide receiver was a position of need for yeah, Seattle. They so. have two good wide receivers. Yeah, so it's not a great pick. Yeah, so then at six, they have the Lions picking Devin Weatherspoon from Illinois. Quarterback. I, I love Devin Weatherspoon. I watched him play a bunch in the Big Ten. He's just like a rangy corner who's athletic, does all the little things right. Very And the Lions are a team that are going to be surprisingly very good. Their defense was shaky. Their offense was pretty good. Uh, he'll help out in the secondary with Jeff Okuda, but I really like this pick. I think Witherspoon's one of the more underrated guys in the draft. Yeah, and then the mock draft simulator says C.J. Stroud number seven to the Raiders. Boy, they would be happy with that. The Raiders would be thrilled. If they they signed Stroud. Jimmy G. Yeah, Tell us about Stroud, man. So Stroud, I mean, Stroud's unbelievable. He's 6'3", 215, throws a cannon, very accurate passer, has mobility ability. Like in the uh, Georgia game, he showed his wheels off. He has like 4'6", 4'5", speed. He's a great quarterback, and he's a very prototypical NFL quarterback. I, I If I were to give him a comparison, I'd say like a juiced-up Jared Goff, like a better version of Jared yeah. Goff. Uh, Stroud's great, and I think you can build around him in the modern NFL. Now, I think – I agree with you, and, and obviously we've seen Stroud play a lot. I think you could have made a case for Stroud at any of the first seven picks. Yeah. You could have made a pick – other than Arizona, I guess, who's not picking a quarterback. But you could have made a case for him at Seattle or Detroit – sitting behind Goff in Detroit for a year or two. I think the thing that's interesting is they the, for the Raiders is they signed Jimmy G. I don't think Jimmy G's there to be like Andy Dalton where he's sort of like just a coach type. Yeah, type. They, I think he wants to play. Yeah, they committed a lot of resources to Jimmy G, but at the same time, if you're the Raiders and C.J. Stroud sitting there at seven, you got to take him. You can't just like be like, oh, Jimmy G's our forever quarterback and hope for the best. Yeah, so... Now we come to, uh, we're getting closer to the Jets at 13, Atlanta at 8, Chicago at 9, and the Eagles at 10. 
And when we resume the draft, we'll, we'll put these out there. But this makes some sense here. And we'll talk about these three picks. So let's talk about these three picks. So the they have Will Anderson dropping to the Falcons at eight. Wow. That's a gift. That's a gift. I don't think that's going to happen in real life. No, Will Anderson had 16 and a half sacks as a junior, the, or 17 and a half sacks. The dude is a beast. He's like Chase, he's like reminiscent of Chase Young, but an Aiden Hutchinson and some of these great pass rushers. Um, he is unbelievable. Nick Bosa, I mean, he's in that league. He's yeah. unbelievable. He'll be a success. In the I NFL. think he'll be picked way before number uh, eight. But if, if there weren't great quarterbacks in this draft, Will Anderson's probably a number one pick. That's right. I agree with that too. So number nine for the Bears, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. A uh, very good cover corner. I think the Bears. I don't love this pick for the Bears. I think their defense does need a lot of help, and I think cornerback is an area of need. But you need – I would have taken a tackle here for Justin Fields, kind of fortify the protections, or a wide receiver like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, I don't I don't know if taking a cornerback really solves the immediate needs for them. Yeah, although I think they needs everywhere for they them. Have, their defense needs a lot of help, though. And then the Eagles, who lost a lot of guys on defense, take Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. So this guy I've heard a lot about, and I've seen some tape – He's a very much a high potential guy. He has the measurables. He's kind of he's kind of similar to like Trayvon Walker, where he kind of does isn't doesn't have the production, but he's very good. Like has measurables. Um, the Eagles, I feel like, could have been a little more creative with this pick. Their yeah. offense is great, but a defensive guy does help them retool. They lost, yeah, they lost a lot of guys on defense. I mean, they, a lot of people think the Eagles might take Bijan Robinson there. At oh, Bijan, Bijan Robinson would be great. Yeah. I love Bijan. He was going to be an Ohio State commit, but backed out at the last second, went to Texas. Yeah, he's an unbelievable running back. They lost Miles Sanders. He's well, great. Well, let's see now. We have the Texans and Houston with their second pick coming up right before the Jets. So eleven and twelve. Let's see what the machine says, and we'll see where they land. Okay. Oh, this is interesting. So so now, before we get to the Jets, let's talk about these two picks. At 11, the simulator has the, the, the Titans picking Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. Offensive tackle. So, so the first tackle. Yeah. Position of need for the Jets. So there's concern with Skaronsky, but there's also, like, positives too the concern is his arms aren't super big and he's not as he has measurable similar to guard so he might have to kick into guard and if you're gonna use the 11th pick you want to take a tackle not a guard so there's concern there he's a beast yeah he's, he's an absolute yeah, beast. he's a top performer so and then brian branch from alabama safety for number 12 i really like brian branch and i know he's been talking to the jets just generally yeah. but he's a very rangy just Corner safety, you can use him in the in any kind of capacity in the secondary. He's a very good player that's multidimensional, and I think that's the appeal with him is you can put him on a lot of nickelback. You can put him on a lot of spots on the field. And he was with Alabama. He was very good at interceptions, tackles for loss, things like that. So I like Brian Brand. So this is interesting, Matt. Now, we have the choice at number 13 on the simulator. So here's what I'm going to look at. We're going to look at who are the best players based on who's left and they have number and this is based on the ranking of of uh, pro football focus jackson smith a jigba but do we want a wide receiver i don't know um Kalish can't see from a, a defensive interior uh joey porter jr we're not going to take a uh a, a cornerback the highest ranked tackle is paris johnson from ohio state now let me just look at something else because i can actually do a sort here on offensive tackles 
And there's Paris Johnson, there's Anton Harrison, because obviously offensive tackle is a position of need. Broderick Jones, Dewan Jones, but I think we're getting into second round. Now, before we make our pick, there's also some teams offering us trades. This is another beauty of this. So let's see what they want. So the one team that's looking is Pittsburgh at 17, and we have to make an offer. That might be interesting. That would only be dropping us down a few picks. And then the other picks, the Ravens and Giants, that's too far down. So I don't know that we need to make a trade of this pick. I would keep this pick. So let's draft a player. Who would you pick, Matt, of who's left here? I would take Paris Johnson Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba, Kalijah Kansi, guys I like. But Paris Johnson fixes the most immediate. Lucas Van Ness is very good. Yeah. Um, kind of going through. Kincaid I love, but the Jets we don't, don't need, need a tight end. end. Yeah. Don't need a cornerback, really. We got no, two good no, ones. No, no. Deontay Bell. I think Paris Johnson's the Paris pick. Johnson's because the Jets. Offensive tackle from Ohio State. They need a tackle who can play the next, like, to Brickashaw Ferguson the next 10 or 15 years. I agree. And, and the whole point of keeping this pick with the Aaron Rodgers thing is to – uh, build out that offensive line. So we're going to pick Paris Johnson of Ohio State. And what we're also going to do is, as we, we talk about this, we're going to let the draft run, till and it's, and it's running right now, till we get to 42 and 43. Now, let's just talk about one while this runs, Matt, and we'll come back to some of these picks. The idea of the Jets drafting a wide receiver, imagine Jackson Smith at Jigba, who his... His, he didn't play this year most of the year because he was injured. His, whatever it was, freshman or sophomore year at Ohio State, when he played with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, was unbelievable. A lot of scouts thought he was the best of the three of them, which if you kind of look at the, the writing on the wall with that is insane because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both had like rookie of the Are year. Are like all pro NFL yeah. guys or right at the He ADA. had 1,600 receiving yards. He had... Three three forty seven in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I, I mean, mean insane. The yeah. guy's insane. He's an insane receiver. So as the draft gets to the Jets pick, um, and actually, I think because of the version we have, we're not going to get there. What do you think their position of needs are in the second round? Assuming they keep one or both of the picks, this is a this is a, a an opinion that I have. So you take a tackle in the first round. I think second round you go linebacker. Yeah, and I think they need some depth at linebacker. C.J. Mosley's getting a little older. You got some aging, like even uh, Quincy Williams getting a little older. You take a depth linebacker piece, and I've heard of some guys like it's. You could also like the Jets could also target a wide receiver, maybe depending on. Need. Yeah, that could be later in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I've heard also maybe they take a third quarterback. That could be later in the draft. There's a guy from Stanford. There's a few Tanner other Tanner McKee, yeah. Tanner McKee from Stanford. That would be interesting. Safety is always they could use probably a young safety also. Safety could be good because honestly, safety play last year was an issue. They got I, that guy earlier in the year. Yeah, and I think the one other position they're going to have to fill in the draft is is sort of backup interior defensive line. Yeah, because they didn't get Calais Campbell went to Atlanta. So. Yeah, that was a weird signing. I mean, Atlanta won that one, but maybe they take a guy in the interior. Yeah, so we we have about another month to the draft. Maybe this is something we do again when we get closer to draft because we'll also know if we're keeping that 13th pick. Yeah. So that will be, I'm hoping we keep the 13th pick. My assumption based on what I've read and seen is that we give up like 42 or 43 and maybe next year's pick for Rodgers. This is a very strange thing. This never happens where you're in limbo for so long. I guess the only thing I could compare it to is the Donovan Mitchell thing, which didn't happen, but this, the Rodgers thing looks like it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Yep. Matter of when. 
All right, so that's a wrap for our 10th episode. We thank you for listening. We've really enjoyed this, and we will continue uh, to look for your feedback and 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 the inf- insights, what we get from everyone who listens to this has helped inform what we do. Matt, any final thoughts for today? No, nah, it's been a great ride to 10 and excited for 100 and 1,000. Yes. And, uh, just this is uh, a fun, exciting times for everybody. This is a fun thing, and we're at a great point in the year where we have sort of all of the teams, the Mets starting, the Knicks hitting the playoffs, the Jets, hopefully in the next month, they're finalizing their roster. So until next week, thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.